In the Old Testament, there were three very important offices in the nation of Israel. They were the office of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus was the fulfillment of each one of those offices. He was a prophet, even as referred to in our text in Matthew 21, 11. The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. As a prophet, he spoke and taught the word of God. Jesus was also a priest. But he was unique in his priesthood, for he did not offer up sacrifices for himself. He offered up sacrifices for others. Not sacrifices that were to be continuous year in and year out, but a sacrifice that was made once for all when he sacrificed himself upon the cross. And Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And then thirdly, Jesus was not merely a prophet nor a priest, but he also was a king. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. It's in that context that we have the triumphal entry. Jesus had taught his disciples that he, in fact, was going to reign. He was going to have a kingdom. And they would reign as co-regents with him. Vice-regents would probably be a better word, for they're going to reign ultimately under him. But they are going to sit on 12 thrones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jesus is going to be king overall. But his kingship is going to be very unique. It's going to be so different from any kingship that the world had ever known or seen up to that particular point. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus would be a servant king. A king that came to serve his people as opposed to his people serving him. The key verse for our text this morning is Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast. At the heart of this passage is the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, his humble kingdom. So this morning we want to consider what are we to learn about Jesus' kingship from this particular portion of Scripture? Three things. First, we learn that Jesus' kingship 
is, in fact, a fulfillment of prophecy. Notice Matthew 21, 1 to 4. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, Jesus is on his way, traveling there for the Passover and ultimately his death, and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Unite them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now these words, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The particular prophecy that is being referred to is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the first thing that we are drawing attention to is that these acts were, in fact, a fulfillment of prophecy, most notably Zechariah 9, verse 9. And so I have four means of application from that truth. First, Jesus acted in accordance with the scriptures. Everything that Jesus did was always in accordance with the word of God. That was his rule of faith and conduct, the word of God. Jesus acted in fulfilling the scriptures of all righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 or 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus' purpose in coming was to fulfill every jot and tittle of all that the law required and everything that had been prophesied as to what mankind should do. He came, according to Galatians, born of the, under the law, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem them that were under the law. Jesus came to fulfill, to complete, to live by all the commandments of Scripture, and to complete everything that was prophesied of the prophets. And nothing will be abolished. All will take place. Jesus will not fail in the smallest detail of all that the Father has given him to do. Matthew 5, 18. Truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest lot, letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Nothing will be overlooked. So this seemingly insignificant event that Jesus is riding upon a donkey. But it's not even that he's riding upon a donkey. He's riding upon a colt. A colt. An unbroken donkey. An unbroken donkey. A donkey that has never been used. Jesus is riding on. That's 
kind of remarkable in and of itself. Usually it doesn't go well the first time you sit on an animal that hasn't been broken. The first ride isn't the most pleasant ride. Usually the animal rears and kicks and does everything. Now, a donkey's a little different than a, than a bronco. A donkey doesn't have a tendency to rear on its rear feet the way a bronco does it. In the way in which you see the movies out west and, and uh, they are uh, training the broncos. Uh, a donkey doesn't usually act in that particular way. It doesn't usually tend to rear up. But donkeys tend to buck like crazy. They, they kick, though. They have a tendency to, to lift their rear end and to try to kick and try to get the rider off their back. Jesus, in his kingly authority, has authority over all things, even the animal creation. And so he comes riding on the full and unbroken donkey. Even that is remarkable. It's a fulfillment of scripture right down to the minutest detail. But the other thing that we should see is Jesus took the donkey only in order to fulfill the prophecy concerning himself. Notice again our text, Matthew 21, starting at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Unite them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you will say, and now notice this statement. The Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. Why? Why does Jesus need this colt and its mother? Answer, because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And it's the only reason that Jesus has need of this donkey. It says that this was done in order to fulfill the prophecy. But you see, it was a need. It had to be done. It was an obligation. This was not a choice on the part of Jesus. He had to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey because Zechariah says that he would. He has a need. It wasn't a personal need. Jesus could have walked into Jerusalem as far as his health is concerned. He'd been walking all this way. He had been traveling everywhere he went on foot. This is the first occasion in which we read of Jesus riding any animal. Up until this time, he is walking. Again, you may say that's not such a big deal, but 
In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, I have seen something that's inappropriate. I have seen something that is not right. That is that kings walk and servants ride. Jesus, up until this point, has always been walking. Never even availing himself of an animal to just make life a little bit easier. But on this occasion, he rides. And the reason he rides is in order to fulfill all prophecy. The imagery... uh, Okay, excuse me. Number two. We learn that Jesus' kingship is characterized by humility. Characterized by humility. Jesus comes riding on a young colt, as I said, and the imagery of the donkey is that he is a servant animal, characterized as a beast of burden. Notice verse 5. On a colt, now these words, the foal of a beast of burden. The foal of a beast of burden. Again, the accuracy. The foal, at this point, was not a beast of burden. The, 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 the colt still hadn't been broken. But a donkey, in general, is a beast of burden. It was the offspring of a beast of burden. When you think about a donkey, what are you to think about? You're to think about a lowly animal that just bears burdens, that carries things that is a work animal. There is nothing that is glorious about a donkey. They aren't mighty. They're not beautiful. You know, there are Arabian horses are gorgeous. And a lot of times, you know, they are they're powerful animals. Uh, you, you think of General Patton riding that white horse. You just think of people of authority, where they, they, where they ride these magnificent animals. A donkey wasn't a magnificent animal. And we're to see that there was this humble beast of burden. Most kings demanded much of their subjects. Listen to this particular portion of scripture. It comes from 1 Samuel. The occasion is that Israel has been under judges up until this time. And the people of Israel didn't want to have a judge any longer. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like the nations round about them. And so they asked for a king instead of a judge. And it upsets Samuel, and he goes to God and says they, have, they want a king. And God says they have not rejected You, they have rejected me as king over them. And then God says to Samuel, warn them of what it's going to be like if they have a king. Now these words. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. 
He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive yards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and all your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. This king is going to live a lavish lifestyle. This king that the people want. Realize how hard and difficult it's going to be for you. But Jesus demonstrates his humility in the fact that he doesn't take anything from anyone. Through his whole earthly ministry. Jesus did not abscond lands. He did not abscond slaves, servants, perfumers, bakers, cooks. He didn't have an entourage. He had a group of disciples that followed him but didn't provide for him. He fed the multitudes but himself went hungry. And he healed people without asking for a denarius in return. Not a dime, not a penny. Nothing did he ask. But on this occasion, he had a need. But Jesus demonstrates his humility in only asking for these two donkeys. You're going to look in vain. I, I tried to do a search. It's kind of a difficult search to do. But I, I went through and, and tried to find every place in which Jesus spoke of having a need or having a need fulfilled or making a request. And uh, even with Logos, I was trying to think of different ways to do these uh, searches and pretty complicated. But I couldn't come up with that. Oh, I could talk about, I could find examples of when Jesus was, was at the well and asked a woman for a cup of water, something to drink. But you're going to look in vain for Jesus asking things from other people. But you know, Jesus was not the first king of Israel to ride in inauguration on a donkey. This wasn't just totally unique or out of the question. In 1 Kings one thirty three, David makes preparation for Solomon. And in 1 Kings one thirty three, we read this. And the king, that's David, said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon for him to be established as king. David says, Let Solomon ride on my mule. There was a symbolism that was associated with a king riding a mule as opposed to a king riding a horse. Now, most often, they rode a horse. For it spoke of their authority, it spoke of their power, it spoke of their, their dignity. Okay? Such as an inauguration of our president, who's riding in limousines, uh, or these huge SUVs that are decked out and uh, just decadent with all these different kinds of, of uh, 
magnificent machinery. It was notable, right, when the, the Pope came to America. What was one of the things they pointed out when he got off the plane? Remember? He got into a Fiat as opposed to a limousine. A Fiat is a pretty humble car. It's also Italian, and so is the Pope. But uh, the point was, he was making a statement. He was saying something. He was trying to convey an image. And so he purposefully rode, rode in a little Fiat as opposed to riding in the limousines. And if you saw the picture, there was this fleet of limousines following this Fiat. Well, Jesus purposely rides on a donkey. But, and here's the key, it was more than just symbol. It was more than just symbolism. It was more than just a play for the crowds. This was more than just a photo op. You know, a photo op is that staged event for the cameras. You know, it's, it's like a president going to a uh, soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day, ladling out some soup. Okay, that's a photo op. That's the one time you're going to see the president in a soup kitchen ladling out. Kitchen, out. Uh, he's not there every, every day. He's not going to be serving in that way. It's a photo op. It's an opportunity to get a glimpse of something that doesn't really represent reality. This wasn't a photo op. Solomon's riding, in the temp- riding into the city was a photo op. For Solomon was not a humble king. Solomon did not take upon him the attitude that he was there to serve the people and the people were there to serve him. For we read this account in 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon's reign is over. His son is going to reign in his stead. And when Rehoboam stands up, the people say this, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us, and we will serve you. Then he said, depart from me for three days and I'll think about it. But they said, don't be like your father Solomon. He put a hard yoke upon us. Taxes were out of the roof during the time of Solomon. You know, Solomon was incredibly wealthy. Scripture says that in his day, silver was nothing. They didn't bother even counting silver because he had so much gold. And in all the wealth that Solomon had and the magnificent house that he built for himself, In everything that God had given to him, Solomon still wasn't content. And the people were taxed and burdened so that Solomon could even live a more magnificent lifestyle than he was already living. Rehoboam's response was this. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. You think you had it tough under my father's regime. Wait till you see what I'm like. 
Don't you dare rebel against me. We can't help but note the contrast with Jesus' words. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Notice the contrast. Notice the words. I am humble in heart. Therefore, my yoke is easy. Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, but his heart was not humble. And the yoke upon the people was not light. This isn't just a photo op. This is a true representation of the kind of king that Jesus is. Jesus truly came to serve and not to be served. Thirdly, we learn that Jesus' kingship has legitimacy. Jesus' kingship is legitimate because he's the son of David. Notice Matthew 21, 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The significance of of Jesus being the son or descendant of David is that David was king over Israel. And the promise was that David would have one that would sit on his throne. When the angel announced to Mary that she was going to have a child, that great Christmas message concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. God would give to Jesus the throne of David. His kingdom is Legitimate. Because he's the son of David. Secondly, Jesus' kingship is legitimate because he comes in the name or the authority of God. Notice Matthew 21, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That phrase, in the name of the Lord, means in the authority of God. Of the Lord. To pray in the name of the Lord Jesus doesn't simply say that you are praying Jesus, it's you are praying in the authority of Jesus. Praying in his name, praying in his authority. For example, remember the old gangster movies, you know, the, the 1930s, 1940 movies, and these black cars, and they're, they're flashing through the streets of New York City and around these old brown store, uh, brownstone buildings and there's these gangsters right, and they're outside uh, hanging off on the boards and so on shooting their uh, Tommy guns and the coppers are right behind them and they get out of their uh, 
black cars and they run up the steps and the coppers run up after them and they run into and barricade themselves uh, behind a door and they pound on the door and they say, open up in the name of the law. All right? Meaning, in the authority of the law. In the authority that the law gives me. Open this door. Or it's not going to go well for you. Well, to come in the name of the Lord is to come in his authority. Jesus came in God's authority. It was God's will. It was God's purpose. God established him as king. Even as Luke 1.32 says, And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. That's significant. For we're going to move on and find out that the priests think that this is totally inappropriate, what's taking place. It's not. It's legitimate. He is the son of David, and he's coming in the authority of God. And then lastly, Jesus' kingship is legitimate because it brings honor and glory to God the Father. Notice verse 29, where it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus' kingship brings honor and glory to God. And it does because of his humility. Again, listen to the words of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father is glorified because of Christ's humility. That humility is seen in humbling himself in being totally obedient to God the Father in all things. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Because he was a servant king. Thus, his kingship is legitimate. So, conclusion. First, Jesus' kingship is a fulfillment of prophecy. The word of God has so much to say, not only about the first coming of Jesus, but the second coming of Jesus. In the second coming of Jesus, he doesn't ride upon a donkey, he rides upon a white horse in the book of Revelation. He's coming as a conquering king. In the second coming of Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The second coming, when he establishes that kingdom and sits on a throne, it's going to be looking so much different than this first coming. But just as every minute detail was fulfilled in the first coming, so too every minute detail will be fulfilled in the second coming. We can have absolute confidence that every prophetic word that is spoken is going to come to pass. Every single one. The second thing we learn is Jesus' kingship is characterized by humility. And 
It always will be. It always will be. Jesus, the humble servant. Again, not just a photo op. It's going to be just a few days from now that Jesus is going to be eating the last meal with his disciples. No one washes Jesus' feet. Not one of them wants to humble themselves and take the role that normally a child or a servant would take in order to wash the guests' feet. Everyone's sitting around wondering who is going to be the one that ultimately washes the feet. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, even as he's going to the cross. The humility of Jesus. Today, today, that Jesus allows his name to be taken in vain. That Jesus allows his goodness to be questioned. That Jesus allows people to reject the offer of salvation repeatedly and then later come to a place of repentance and he accepts them and he welcomes them. That humility, that graciousness is absolutely amazing. That Jesus cares for people. And not just the born again, but for all people. That he is long-suffering, gracious, and allows his name to be dishonored and abused. Thirdly, Jesus' kingship is legitimate. It's right. It's appropriate. It's prophesied. He deserves it. He's the son of David. It's been given to him by God the Father, and he's deserving of it because of the kind of king that he is. The righteous king, the holy king, the good king. And so he will be exalted. And so I invite you this morning to acknowledge his kingship in your own life. His kingship in your own life. He deserves to be king. There is an interesting play in Matthew chapter 21. I, I invite you to, to look with me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will have them at once. Okay, and I, and I made a great statement there about need and, and so on. But, but there is an interesting play on words where it says the Lord has need. Okay, that, that word to have is a word of ownership. 
It's a word of ownership. Now, when we look to the parallel passages, we find that there is a statement concerning the person who owns the donkeys. So, who owns them? Jesus or the man? And uh, I found one commentator, most don't even deal with it. But, I, but when I was translating this passage, I, I just looked at that and I'm saying, what? That, that's really an amazing thought. And I'm trying to think through this. And I found one commentator that said that Jesus must have made a, an arrangement with this man ahead of time, knew that they were going to be there, had bought and paid for them, et cetera, et cetera, and now says he's time to pick them up. I don't think any of that happened. Okay. What I think is going on here is this a simple statement. That a king had the right of domain. A king could demand property. He could tax it, if you will. There was no parliament. There was no one to go through. If he wanted it, it was his. He had that kind of authority. Uh, not exactly the same, but the whole aspect of eminent domain that's being discussed so much right now, and that uh, political, uh, that city governments can take over people's individual properties if it's for the good of the, of the uh, city or the township or whatever the particular place is. If they want to build a road, they can take your property if they want to. If you're not willing to sell it, ultimately they can take it. Eminent domain. Jesus had the right to these animals. They belonged to him. He's king. And so he says, I have use for these. These mine. If anyone says anything, just tell them. Tell them the Lord. Tell them, tell them the master. Tell them the owner has need of them. Okay? Jesus gives us everything that we have. Oftentimes we think about giving a tithe to him, giving 10%. In reality, he owes it all. In reality, he could demand everything from us. Just think of what he doesn't take from us. Just think of what he doesn't demand of us. Just think of how he provides for us. Just think about how he cares for us. His kingship is legitimate. And you don't have to worry about accepting this king. In the Old Testament, God warns Samuel, tell them about the kind of king that they're going to get. Warn them about establishing this king. Tell them that this king is going to take everything. Now, tell them about this king. Tell them about this king whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light. Tell about this king who invites everyone who is weary and heavy laden to come to him in order to find rest. Not to work your fingers to the bone to find rest. That's the kind of king that we have. A king that wants to provide for us. 
not a king that's looking for us to provide for him. Take him. Acknowledge him. Glorify him as your king. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to rejoice that the Lord Jesus is in fact king. Help us to recognize the legitimacy of that that kingship. Help us to realize how privileged we are to be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. What a different king we now serve than, than the one we once served when we were in the kingdom of darkness. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness to us. Thank you for your humility, a true humility, not just a photo op that happened one day when you rode in on a donkey, but a day that represented all days, a day that was a picture of all events, of who you really are. Though you are King of kings and Lord of lords, you are the servant of all. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.